Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Today on the Make Meaning Podcast, I have the good fortune of speaking with Jim Reese, an author, professor, and National Endowment for the Arts writer-in-residence at Federal Prison Camp in Yankton, South Dakota. Jim teaches at Mount Marty University and directs the Great Plains Writers Tour. He has read his work at the Library of Congress and San Quentin Prison, among many other venues. Jim has won many awards for his writing and has four published books, with a fifth due out next year. Jim, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I was so excited when you reached out about sharing your story with us here on the podcast. There are just so many aspects of your work that fascinate me. I'd like to begin by hearing about how you began teaching writing in prisons and what that experience has been like for you. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, you have a great show. So I just wanted to tell you that too. So thanks for having me on. Um, I love a lot of your guests and just what their mission is. Um, and teaching in the prisons, just it was happenstance. I, I just became an assistant professor here at Mount Marty, and uh, the program started at the federal prison, which we have here in our city, mm-hmm. and they had, they were looking for somebody who had the uh, credentials uh, to start a creative writing program within prisons. Um, so I absolutely had no idea um, what I was doing or, or um, actually, you know, what a federal prison was, who was in there, why they were in there, mm-hmm. how did that compare to um, all other jails and prisons in the country. And, um, you know, the prison I work at actually is was is considered or was considered the top 10 cushiest prisons in the nation, according <laughs> to Forbes magazine at one time. Okay. Um, I, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And then through my training, I have uh, spent um, years training at San Quentin and other places to see how their arts and corrections programs work and we come back to our own facilities and try to implement those strategies. Wow. So, I mean, how did that feel at first? Were you nervous? Were you like, we all have images in our heads of, you know, big bad criminals, but like, tell me how you went through that and and what the reality ended up being like. Sure. Um, You know, this is my 13th year working in the federal prison. I've spent about two and a half years working in the state prisons in South Dakota. And like I said, we off and on, we would go for four years, I think, or five years to St. Quentin, um, back and forth, and we'd spend a weekend there. Um, so my first interpretation, I went to St. Quentin immediately after I got the job. Um, so mm-hmm. I did what anybody would probably do. I kind of scared myself. I started looking at uh, very sensationalized things that were on the internet or <laughs> whatever I could get my hands on. Uh-huh. Um, and And it took me about four or five years to really after that to really figure out what I was doing mm-hmm. um, and how much of an impact I could have on mm-hmm. families sure. and uh, indivi- individuals that were incarcerated um, by using their voice and just really connecting with them and, and seeing. At, at that point, I realized, wow, we are really making a difference here. It isn't just when I started, I thought it was cool to be able yeah. to tell people, hey, I, I'm working in a prison. You know, <laughs> I had this uh, pretty enormous ego. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it was enormous, but it was it was big enough. 
Uh-huh. And um, I thought it was kind of cool to say that as opposed to really thinking about what am I doing here? What right. is my what is my bigger purpose here? Mm-hmm. Um, and once I realized that and um, and saw how it was affecting how writing and getting men and women to come to terms with their emotional instabilities through writing sure. really does help them. And then they won't come back to prison. That's amazing. I mean, I, I know you say that you're passionate about helping people come to terms with their emotional instabilities through writing. Um, and I, I mean, being a writer myself, I know how cathartic and and really um, discovering it is because I can sit down and write and say, wow, I didn't realize that I felt that way. But how do you do that with these individuals who are in prisons? And I know they all have different stories and different circumstances, but um, how do they come to terms with those emotional instabilities? How does that happen? It's a 10-month class, so um, there's a wide variety of writing prompts that I've gathered over the years from better teachers than me, and I've Mm -hmm. used those and and done a lot of research. So there's a lot of expressive writing prompts that you can find everywhere. I would recommend for your listeners um, and everybody, um, just there's a great book called um, Writing Poetry to Save Your Life by Maria Maziotti Gillen. Okay. And that's a great book. It's about 96 pages on craft and about 200 pages of writing prompts. Oh, great. There's also, so the program's called Words Without Walls, and it's at Chatham University in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And I would look at that. You can just Google that. That's a really cool program. And there's some professors there that wrote their own book. And um, the anthology is actually called Words Without Walls. And there's some great prompts in that. But really, any kind of prompt that that asks you the hard questions, Mm -hmm. um, when you get that feeling in your gut, that tells you, do I, I want to say this, but I can't, I don't want to mm-hmm. tell anybody. That's exactly what you need to be writing. And mm-hmm. as soon as you start doing that and s- stop worrying about what other people are going to think, mm-hmm. that's where true writing comes from. And so I just talked to them a lot about that um, in the whole, the whole time, not just at the beginning, we continue to talk about it and slowly people start telling their stories. They write fiction and, and other screenplays and other things too, but Mm-hmm. In our book that we publish every year, 4 p.m. Count, I think it's the only prison or journal that's published in a prison, mm-hmm. a creative writing journal, a perfect bound book that's been printed consecutively for the last 12 years. I don't know wow. of any other program that's done that. That's um, and if there is one, I would, lo- I would love to see it. Um, but yeah. we, get, we don't sell them or anything like that. We give, we give them away for educational purposes and to the families. And um, it's also uh-huh. available online online at um, issue. And so that that journal is called 4 p.m. Count. You just got to knock that crow off your shoulder and go inside yourself. You got to enter that cave. And and that's where those true stories come from. And, and the heartfelt things that you need to say and might be afraid to say. And a lot of times what I noticed, especially working in the women's prison, the first prompt I would give them when I walked in there was, answer this question or write from this prompt, which was no one ever asked me. Hmm. I love that. And then it was amazing how quickly they just filled pages. Wow. So sometimes I wonder how often people have a chance to say or use their voice at all. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, no one ever asked me as a simple question that I think all of us could grapple with. And 
when you have these realizations, I mean, you, you really get to that inner voice that um, can uncover the root of any turmoil or angst or passion, you know, that we have in life. Um, you become a different person after because you have these realizations that are so profound and shifting. You know, are there, are there any enlightening or breakthrough moments that um, you've had happen either in this course or through your own writing that, that sort of helped you to emerge a different person or, or maybe it's one of your students. Um, is there a breakthrough like that that you could share with us or an enlightenment? Yeah, there's a, there's not just one, there's a lot of them. And I think it happens every year. If I'm just thinking about the students that I teach at FPC Yankton, it also happens in the college classroom. What I noticed was if I can do the same prompts I'm doing in a prison at a private Catholic college or wherever I'm at teaching, Mm -hmm. there, there is no difference. There's no socioeconomic uh, boundaries to uh, dysfunction. Right. So people have stories to tell. Oftentimes um, you, what you need to do is just create that uh, environment where they feel safe enough to tell those stories. And if you can do that, then people do want to write, people do want to express themselves. And so in my new book that just came out, it's called Bone Chalk. Mm-hmm. And there's a centerpiece essay that's really long, um, mm-hmm. I guess, for an essay. It's probably closer to 30 some pages. Mm-hmm. But um, I tried to put some of those moments in there that you asked me about where I knew that I needed to write about them. So there's lots of those, whether it's at the prison or even with students here at Mount Marty uh-huh. and w- things that they've shared with me that I thought would be good to r- write as a teacher and how that impacted me and, and um, how it will help others. So, you know, I can share one with you if you want me to. Yeah, I was actually, it's a great transition because I was about to ask about bone chalk and I've been um, really enjoying reading it. And I just have to commend you because um, the cover design is beautiful. The size of the book is different than any book I have and the texture of the cover. I just love, it's just everything about it is unique and really um, beautiful. And and I was thinking about how you say that you make meaning by being present every day and trying to learn something new every day. Um, and I see that in the essays in Bone Chalk, you know, that you're capturing moments and characters with um, great clarity, offering sort of universal truths by getting hyper-specific. And so, um, you know, this is a great time to maybe talk about the book and then read us a little excerpt as well. Well, I will tell the publisher you said all of that stuff. She'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> and and the and the guy that designed the cover that was really cool. And it, yeah, I mean, I it looks really cool, and um, everybody's been really happy with it. So, and it's great just talking to folks like you and and that are trying to do the same thing. I think as a writer, uh-huh. um, the main thing I try to teach my students about is voice and and using your voice to make a difference. Right. Uh, I, that's what I was interested in in grad school before I ever started working in prisons. Um, I liked I liked Peter Elbow. I liked all these people that were talking to us about voice. And um, since I was a bad singer in my <laughs> bands I was in, um, I thought, well, I can use my voice this way. And um, I okay. love making people laugh. Cool. I love making people laugh. But I also like, you know, I think you have to have that mix. Um, I love yeah. David Sedaris. I've had the great fortune of um, exchanging some letters with him in the last 10 years. And he writes my students every once in a while. And he, wow. and he'll say to you, he'll say to you, um, you know, you've got to have, you got to mix the, the humor and the tragedy. Sometimes you got to have some weight to your stories. If you're going to, if yeah. that humor is going to matter, 
you know, yeah. so it's not just slapstick. And, and that, and that's, that's true. I, I mean, yeah. there's a few authors that I can teach to my students that they will like over and over again. And, and he is one. Yes. Um, and, and, his, and that's just him being honest. He's not afraid to right. tell it like it is. Yeah. I will say your essay about being the school mascot. Um, I, I, <laughs> You know, my heart went out to you and I was cracking up at the same time. And, you know, it's funny because I'm a parent of four teenagers, one who's headed to college in the fall. And, um, and so my heart just sort of broke a little bit. It was also like, you go, you know, <laughs> like it was just, yeah. I was right there with you and, uh, it was just, that was a really good one. I really enjoyed that. That was almost going to be the title of the book. Uh, my life is really the wildcat <laughs> and other true stories, but, um, and then, and then it changes, you know, you think you've got a plan and then somebody says, hey, why don't you try this? Um, I had a whole other book that, that I was working on that had to do with my work in prisons. And so I wasn't even going to include any of that in this collection of essays. And then, and then somebody, uh, one of the publishers that was interested in the book asked me if I had some more material. So I reworked, mm-hmm. I took that manuscript and I just took up 200 pages and I crunched it down to, oh, I don't know, 35, 40 pages and then mm-hmm. edited it from there too. And I'm glad I did because um, it's a bigger project I'm working on. For the longest time, I kept trying to think, try, kept trying to find an answer. Yeah. And then an editor and writer, a friend of mine, Kent Meyer, who is a great fiction writer. He's also a great editor. Mm-hmm. He had said to me, why don't you try looking at this essay from the standpoint of how crime has affected you throughout your life? Hmm. and and then the, those that you work with and just put it in chronological order that way and see what you come up with. Yeah. And because the other essay had to do with the rape and murder of my friend right? and other things, but it was also very academic uh-huh. because I kept searching for an answer. And I don't think there is an answer for crime. I think there's a lot of solutions to make our country better. And I think a lot of people are aware of that. Yeah. Um, and so if, uh, you know, and so that's why I'm very passionate about the work I do, because we know that if there's any statistic your listeners need to know right now, it's that um, one out of every three people in America mm-hmm. of working age has some sort of criminal record. Okay, interesting. So if we understand that, we know that all of us know people that are incarcerated or have been mm-hmm. or under parole or probation mm-hmm. or have broke the law. I mean, yeah. all of us are guilty. Just yeah. some of us didn't get caught. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the reality. I mean, maybe we haven't, maybe they were small little crimes um, uh, or petty things, but, um, you know, nobody's a saint. And, right. and we're all human beings and we're all in this together. Right. Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful message and it's really true. And I do think it's interesting, you know, the, the pain in your heart from your friend's um, gruesome murder really came through. And, and it's interesting because I know in my work on meaning and purpose, I find that um, we all really know what it is and it, it touches back to something early in our lives, you know, experiences we had or, or things that um, we were wondering about. And it's interesting that, you know, you had to endure that as a youth and now you're working with prisoners toward rehabilitation. And there's just such a beautiful arc to that. And um hopefulness. I just, I, I really, I think that connection is very interesting. Um, so why don't you jump Thanks. in and read something from Bone Chalk for our listeners? Okay. Um, this is a small scene in the essay that we're talking about, um, okay. which is called Never Talk to Strangers, 12 Years in Prisons and What Criminals Teach Me. Mm-hmm. 2014, The Track. 
I'm walking the prison yard when an inmate student next to me begins to tell me a story I've never forgotten. You know, one of the prisons they had me at, I could step into a corner of my cell and get a sliver of sunlight, but it hit me right here. He cranes his neck, closes his eyes, and traces a line down the side of his cheek and over a hard vein in his neck. Right here, for about a half an hour. That was all the sunlight I'd see. It's mental deprivation. It works. Hell, most guards don't know what you're in for. They don't care. We are loaded on a 747 one winter. We're standing on the tarmac without any jackets, a bunch of us. Just a t-shirt, orange pants, no socks, no shoes. They had our legs chained at the ankle so tight, I was bleeding all over, freezing. Scars are still here. He stops, puts his leg on a bench, and pulls down his sock to show me. You know, I'm no killer or sicko. My whole stint that got me here lasted only five months. Meth will eat you up. Fifteen years, I'll be down for an addiction I couldn't shake, could have never imagined. When my daughter used to come visit me, I'd be behind those glass partitions. She'd tell me, Daddy, roll down this window. I'd say, I can't, honey. She'd ask, when are you coming home? Soon, I'd tell her. Now she wants to know the date. She'll be graduated by then. It's just heart-wrenching. The descriptions are simple and bold and just really powerful. You know, you you feel like you're standing there with that person and, and my heart goes out to him. You know, I love the, the compassion with which you write and the understanding too. Thank you. There's a lot of stories like that that the men or the women have shared with me. And, you know, it's we have to talk. We have to share each other's stories so we can try to make the world a better place, right? I mean, I, I think all of, all of these stories matter. I think everything we're doing matters. Um, like I mentioned in this essay too, I've had a good friend of mine say to me once, I was kind of frustrated. I said, you know, people would come up to me, especially when I first started doing this. And mm-hmm. they would they would say things like, why should I care about people in prison? Lock them up, throw away the key. You know, it's a waste of my tax dollar. And and I never had a comeback or anything. And I didn't know my facts. I didn't know statistics. I didn't know how many millions and millions and millions of people this affected. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, knowing that we have 2.2 million people incarcerated, knowing there's another, you know, 9 million people on parole and probation and, and the stats go on and on and on. And and um, I at first I didn't know. And my friend looked at me real matter of factly. He just said, hey, if we're not all chipping away at the iceberg, what's the alternative? Right, right. And I hope by, you know, us writing and sharing stories, it um, makes a difference. It does. It's a courageous act to use your voice and to empower others to do it. Um, I really applaud what you're doing. And it, it just, it's been a wonderful window into that world um, to read your writing. And I encourage all of our listeners to. Um, I know that you said, and I love this, that your failures and screw-ups are what really connects with readers. Why do you think that is? Oh, you know, because they can relate. I mean, you know, when I first was an English major and started writing stories, I remember, I can remember that feeling thinking, I I don't have a story. There's nothing monumental (laughs) I can tell about myself. Uh And I even joke about it in my, in my book often, you know, like, look, I, I could ollie kind of high on a skateboard. I could play guitar kind of, you know, I was uh-huh. a pretty good rhythm guitar player. I was good at posing. Uh-huh. Um, 
And, you know, I had long, pretty hair. I, but other than that, I, I really was pretty much mediocre at everything. And so I didn't know what stories to tell. I liked to do a lot of things, but I wasn't necessarily great at any of them. Yeah. And so, but once I realized that I don't have to tell a monumental story and I can just talk about being me, um, I think there's a whole lot of people that could relate to that. And then it's okay to make fun of yourself. I mean, why not? Yeah. You know, so, uh, and I think that's how people relate to that. And I think it's by Steady and other writers that I really, really admire, you know? Um, right. Well, it's interesting too, because I think when we connect on a human level, um, we make progress and we inspire each other. And I, I just, I don't think you have to be extraordinary to be inspiring. I feel like, you know, I, I truly believe from the depths of my soul that we are each put on this planet for a unique reason. And we have a mission that we may not understand to somehow impact the world from our unique stance. I mean, you're, you're clearly doing that in so many ways just by being you. And um, it's powerful when that can have an impact on other people. You know, um, I want to ask you as we finish our conversation, which I wish could go on for hours, um, that in this Make Meaning movement that this podcast is a part of, we talk a lot about giving permission to take courageous steps toward living from a place of meaning. And so I wonder what permission slip you would give to our listeners about how they can dare to get real with their core purpose. Dare to use your voice. Don't be afraid to. Don't be afraid to. I mean, that's it. There's no magic button. There's no magic secret. There's no, um, if you read so many books, you're going to finally figure it out. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is read a lot and read often and then sit your butt in a chair and do the work. And it is work. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to do it every day. And a lot of times you're going to fail. And, but while you're, while you're failing, you're going to be producing some stuff at the same time too. And then find some people that will give you honest criticism and help you make your work better. But it's just being, being honest with yourself. And if you can do that, then your writing will be gold. Absolutely. I really love it. it. It's so inspiring, everything that you're doing. And Jim Reese, I'm so pleased to have you on the Make Meaning podcast. We will add your books and everything that you're doing to our show notes so that our listeners can find you. And um, I just want to thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.